0: It became obvious to me that if I wanted to eat, I was going to have to learn how to cook. Why is that such a daunting task? Up next, on the Crossing Ideas Podcast... Ideas podcast. I'm Mark Sassy, author of 12 novels, playwright fortunate enough to win some awards, and an American who has lived half his life internationally. I've decided to use those experiences in this podcast as a lens of looking at the world of today. I'd be grateful if you'd check out my works at mwsassy.com. That's dot com. Episode 9 I Hated Everything so I learned how to cook. I was always a very sheltered eater. Now, my mom, she was an amazing cook growing up, and I loved everything that she made except, you know, things like liver and meat and rice. There was a certain meat gravy dish that she put on rice, and for some reason, I hated rice. I thought, why would anyone want to eat small little chunks of mushiness? Oh, (laughs) hell, my childhood was mocking my future without me even knowing it. But then again, I hated most everything as a as a boy. Vegetables, I wouldn't eat them. You know, my, my parents were gardeners, and they would grow all kinds of seasonal vegetables. The type of garden I would be envious of right now. And my mother would can or freeze an untold number of jars and freezer packs for the winter months. But I did my best to not like any of them. I wouldn't not eat vegetables. I remember a phase though, when I was quite young, when I wanted to be an astronaut. And uh, one night around the dinner table, I still remember where we were, the table pushed out. It was when my dad was still working in the mornings. And so we were all able to eat dinner together. And I remember my mom said, Mark, astronauts eat their vegetables. So if you want to be an astronaut, You're going to have to learn to eat your vegetables. And it just so happened that we had peas that night. And since, you know, I wanted to be an astronaut, and of course, I trusted my mother, I ate my peas. Well, when I finally got older, uh, I learned that there was something in life I hated more than vegetables. Science. So being an astronaut wasn't in the cards for me. But peas remained the only vegetable that I ate right into my adult life. Until my palate started changing. Enter Vietnam. When I first moved to Vietnam in 1994, food for me was a challenge. It became even more so when I got sick soon after I arrived and I started vomiting every morning. So I would vomit, I would go and teach class, I would come home and have stomach pains for the rest of the day. That was kind of rinse and repeat for nearly six weeks. It was a miserable weight loss program. I never really found out what I had. You know, the doctors in Hanoi didn't provide much insight, but eventually I started feeling better. But the Vietnamese food remained a huge challenge for me. First, the greens. You know, as a baseball player, Green grass is supposed to be stepped on, slid on, run on. It is not meant to be eaten. That's what I thought when I was served water spinach or pumpkin greens or a a bunch of other green stuff I called grass. How could anyone eat grass? Oh boy, I was quite naive at the time. You know, the school that we were teaching at, the university provided us with free meals. And our cook's name was Badom. She was a middle-aged woman who had never cooked for foreigners before. And you know, thinking back on it now, we were probably a major pain in the butt to her. Well, you know, I say we, uh, including the small group of foreigners that that we were teaching with, but I should probably be clear, it was probably me, more than anyone else, who was a pain in the butt to her, because I complained about the food, not impolitely, I just wouldn't eat it, or she would ask me what's wrong, and I'd be like, oh, nothing, it's wonderful, and I wouldn't eat what she had made for us. After a while, we started telling them that we would only come for lunch. I didn't like much of anything that Bodome cooked, but she would sometimes give us a little light soup which had chunks of potatoes in it that was the best The potato was a welcome sight. I would be like, yes, potatoes. Now remember, there's no American fast food there. I couldn't order a bunch of French fries or anything like that. So any type of potato was just like, wow, taking me back to my mom's good old cooking. There was an Australian teacher with us uh, during that time, and he would fry his own potatoes. Yes, he would make his own homemade French fries, and I would just drool at his french fries in our dormitory because I had no idea how to fry potatoes. Yeah, I know, I couldn't cook at all. You know, my wife had always been the main cook in our family, but it became understandably difficult for her to do what she normally did after we moved to Vietnam. There were no supermarkets, there were no mini-marts, there were no neatly packed chicken breasts that were ready to cook. The open air wet markets were something else to us sheltered Americans. You know, carcasses hanging out in the open. Yes, even dog carcasses. They love their dog meat. Maybe I'll go. Maybe I'll tell my dog story someday. Not not today. It was all kind of hard to stomach for someone who just usually walked into the grocery store and bought what he wanted in this neatly packaged environment, but not in Vietnam. You know, it's fair to say that my wife hated the thought of going to the market and trying to figure out how to cook what she was familiar cooking. You know, we had a baby too at the time, which complicated everything. So eventually, I started shopping for our food supplies. I had to learn how to order cuts of meat. You know, no one spoke English, so I would point. I would learn new words and try to figure out the money of how much everything was. It was a daunting task. But little by little, I began to experiment at home with cooking what I had purchased. And I actually started to enjoy it. That was the beginning of a 30 year transformation from a young adult who had no skills in the kitchen whatsoever and hated most foods other than McDonald's to becoming a fairly proficient cook who has taught cooking clubs and loves every single vegetable out there. Yes, even the greens. Now, I want to go off on a little bit of a tangent for a moment and just uh, think about a few of the recollections of food that I had from my first three years in Vietnam when we were living in Haiphong. And I have this image of orange wrappers, not not, not like orange, the fruit, like the color wrappers of food, which are colored orange. Okay, so picture in your mind, a Reese's peanut butter cup, you know, the color it's that Halloween orange just pops out. You got that in your mind? Okay, good. Now, picture an American, me, who loves candy and chocolate so much. Now, picture me on my bicycle riding down the streets of Haiphong, passing these small shops of dry goods. They had all these snacks and things that were stacked up outside on these little shelves and whatnot. Then I would suddenly see that color, that orange Reese's color. And I thought, could it be? No. Could it be and I jumped off my bike and I would run to the packaging, hoping with every breath within me that this remote little shop somehow had a shipment of Hershey's candies just for my benefit. That every time, every single time, I would be disappointed when the wrapper turned out to be some cracker from China or some prawn snack or something like that. It was cruel. It was mighty cruel displaying that. Reese's orange so vividly on the sides of the street, allowing me to experience so much hope only to be crushed time and time again. You know, 11 years in Vietnam. And I never once saw a Reese's peanut butter cup, but I was allured into many shops by the orange packaging. That's how desperate I was at times for normal quote, normal food that I was used to, and especially those little snacks. Let's talk about cheese for a minute. Now on arrival in Haiphong, the only type of cheese that we could find was this laughing cow processed cheese spread from France. You know, it came in these little round packs. It was the kind of cheese that didn't need to be refrigerated, you know, fake cheese. One day, out of desperation, we tried to make pizza with laughing cow cheese. You know how you put like these uh, chunks of buffalo mozzarella on a pizza and it melts and it's just wonderful? Well, well, (laughs) you know, we thought, you know, these are chunks of cheese too, perhaps. You know, laughing cow on top of our pizza would be tremendous. Well, I will say that it made us laugh because it was incredibly nasty. And so it was a tough thing living without cheese until one day I was riding in town and I made an amazing discovery. I saw on a window display a large round package, huge, round. I went up and discovered to my amazement that it was cheese, Gouda, in fact. At that time, I had never heard of Gouda cheese. Didn't know it was from the Netherlands, but it had the look of real cheese. So I brought it home, tried it, and we were ecstatic. We had found real cheese locally. It was amazing. We tried it on pizza, and friends, let me tell you, if you haven't had gouda on pizza, do it. It is so delicious. For years and years, gouda became our go-to for making pizza. Well, mainly because that's the only cheese that was available. But delicious. And even today, it's not unheard of for me to take a three-cheese blend for pizza using mozzarella, parmesan, and gouda. It's absolutely delicious. And I never would have known that without my experiences in Vietnam my cooking skills continued to expand. When we moved to Nguyen a few Nguyen a few years later, Taing Nguyen 60 miles north of Hanoi, we had a flat roof on our house, which seemed to me to be the perfect spot to put a barbecue grill, which, of course, didn't exist in Vietnam at the time. So I had to be resourceful. I went to the market one day and bought a pig trough. Uh, then I found some sort of grate and also found a place to buy locally produced chunked charcoal i was all set i went to the market bought a whole rack of ribs and spent the day barbecuing it on the grill now vietnamese eat, eat a lot of pork and a lot of pork ribs so that was nothing new but they always cut it in small chunks not not in the, like these massive you know full racks of ribs that the americans are used to barbecuing so i invited my friend over to try the American barbecue for the first time, and we ate on the roof sitting on straw mats with large chunks of ribs in our hands. It was wonderful, and my friend liked it a lot. You know, I gradually became the main cook in the family, and I loved it. You know, apparently, so did everyone else. Nobody was clamoring for me to stop cooking. So I figured out that skills are acquired when, one there is a genuine need, like in this case, I needed to eat, so I needed to learn how to cook, or two, when there is genuine interest. You know, when I sit here now and think about those two concepts of need and interest, I can't help but reflect on the state of education a little bit as, as I'm an educator. In the next episode, I'm going to delve more deeply into education, but Can you imagine if education today centered itself around the two ideas of need and interest? How different would it look? I'm currently finishing up six years of teaching theatre in Saudi Arabia. Over the past few months, a small local theatre group, the very first one ever in the city of Jeddah, asked me to hold a few workshops for them as they were trying to get their programs off the ground. And I've taught two multi-week programs to mainly young adults. And let me tell you, the teaching experience at that place is day and night when compared to my secondary school teaching, where I've taught you know, for the past six years. In these workshops, the students have genuine interest in what I have to teach them. They are highly motivated. On the other hand, my secondary students are mainly in my classes to fulfill a credit re- requirement. A few of them are super into it, and that's great. Some have mild interest in what we, what we do in class, but most just care about getting a good, good grade and getting out of there as quickly as possible. And as an educator, that can be kind of demoralizing day after day, month after month, with students who don't really want to be there. They don't see the need. And they don't have the interest. Now, I understand part of it is immaturity. I had often thought of, as an adult, if if I was able to learn all the subjects that I learned in school back in the day, you know, I would totally crush it and I would be really into it and really excited to learn these things. But that's not the way of the world. You know, I want to look at it a different way. Need. What are some of the skills that everyone needs when they become an adult? Uh, financial literacy, you know, how to deal with credit cards, taxes, insurance. Are we teaching these skills? How about kitchen literacy? Um, Maybe we in the past, we called it home economics, but call it kitchen literacy. Okay. Everyone has to eat. It's very basic. But how many really learn cooking skills, really learn about the food, uh, the ingredients, how to make quality delicious food for just a fraction of the cost of what you might get if you order it out how about diy fixing things doing it yourself fixing things around the house you know wood shop, building things all of these seem to be skills that are really important but not tangibly taught much anymore you know uh there are many schools that have gone to what what it, have called a uh, week without walls and my school here is is one of them and it's a week where students have non-traditional learning and and i think it's generally a, a a great way to get kids out of the 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 mundane routine of the classroom and get them into something hopefully that they're interested in uh where they can learn a skill or they can go on a service trip somewhere etc for myself a few years back when i started one of these sessions Called Hot, Spicy, and Sassy, where I would take 12 students with little or no cooking skills and show them the basics of how to do things, teach them how to cook about 10 delicious, easy, and fun meals, ranging from Asian stir fry to curry to quesadillas to pizza. They they realize that, you know what, hey, this food is better than if I ordered it in a restaurant, and it's certainly way cheaper than if I ordered it in a restaurant, and it's even healthier. And I've had so many comments over the years, they're like, wow, I had no idea cooking is actually this easy. Or they might say, this is like the best Asian food I've ever had in my life, and I made it. And that's always really fun to see them taking a, a step forward with their skills, and then using that as they move on to college or something. I mean, that's really what education is all about. You know, if you would have told that 27-year-old in 1994 that his future self would be teaching students how to cook, I would have laughed for sure. But now, nearly 30 years later, I love to put a little oil in a hot pan, throw handfuls of spinach, you know that grass I used to be afraid of, throw a bunch of spinach in there, let it cook down, toss in some minced garlic, maybe a little onion, a few Thinly sliced strips of uh, chili pepper. And if you're so inclined, splash a little soy sauce on it. Serve it over rice. Absolutely delicious. For me, need led to interest. And interest led to a lifetime passion for cooking. You know, there's another example that I'll share as well uh, that's not related to cooking, but it kind of illustrates the need and the interest thing. I, I was never very handy around the house at fixing things. If something would break, I didn't have any clue how to fix anything at all. Until when I was hired here, I had to teach a stagecraft class. And so I'm like, okay, I'm going to learn how to make all of this stuff. And so I had to learn how to cut properly with a power saw. And I learned how to measure straight, uh, measure accurately and straight cut straight hammer all of that kind of stuff and as i started doing that and as i started teaching my students how to uh, take those skills and design things and build them for the shows that we were putting on i really began to fall in love with working with my hands and doing things like that you know you only become proficient with skills by doing them And and i tell everyone who took my stage my stagecraft class that The most important thing about this class is that it's all about problem solving. It's trying to figure out what to do after you make a mistake by sawing a piece of wood too short or by lining it up incorrectly. How are you gonna solve that problem? We're trying how to figure out how to hammer your finger a little bit less or how to stop the bleeding after nicking yourself. It's it's happened to me countless times, but you learn, you get better. And now I love designing and building things, especially for theater. I'm still not great at it, you know. but hanging a shelf in concrete doesn't scare me anymore, or building a pantry in my house for dry goods seems doable. Interest. As a parent or an educator, how can you expose your kids to different activities to help find out what they are truly interested in? I had many theater students over the years who later told me that they did not think that they would enjoy drama, that they did not think they would enjoy acting on stage until they did it and they became hooked. Interest can be built. Need. As a parent or an educator, what can we do to force kids into need, into a need situation where they find themselves needing to learn a skill in order to survive or in order to be happy? maybe one night a week where the the cook in the house takes the day off says hands off yo youngster it's your turn if you want to eat tonight cook something you know i'm uh, super grateful for all the lessons that i learned in vietnam and learning how to cook and appreciate the cooking of others being one of the greatest lessons that i learned i think i will continue to enjoy cooking for the rest of my life wouldn't have happened without having a need way back in the day in Vietnam. This is Mark Sasse. Thanks for listening to the Crossing Ideas podcast. Up next in episode 10, Education in a Remote Valley. That's up next on the Crossing Ideas podcast. Remember to subscribe, follow to automatically receive future episodes. I'd love to hear your comments. And lastly, thanks for listening.